Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Got a good one for you today. This is episode 33 of the live show we do over on YouTube. Essentially, this is just a Q&A. I asked for some questions on the Facebook form and also on the form on the website. And we got a whole bunch of good stuff that's really relevant to this time of year. We talked about the rut a little bit. Uh, we talked about how to deal with pressure from all the gun seasons coming up, uh, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. So you don't want to miss a second of this one. But before we get into this show, i got to thank my partners, the first one being Stealth Outdoors. If you haven't used Stealth Strips, what are you waiting for? It's literally the best product on the market to ensure that your all your gear is nice and quiet for whenever you're sneaking in on them great big giant pressured public land bucks or if you got some big lush uh, farm in Iowa too it's always good to try to be quiet so stealth strips is for everyone in the industry they got many many uses I really like their buckle silencers for mobile hunting um, Lou's done a great job of incorporating all types of kits no matter what kind of gear you're running he'll have something for you so go over to stealthoutdoors.com and pick you up some stealth strips speaking of gear if you're not running beast gear what are you doing dan and mario and everybody at uh hunting beast gear they really were the pioneers to this lightweight stuff they kind of got the the market kicked off with their um their beast sticks back uh, a number of years ago now if you never tried the beast sticks they're awesome. They're still probably the, the best stick on the market, in my uh, opinion. Uh, also, the Beast Stand is, for the for the weight and size, it's the, it's the best on the market. No question. Um, if you haven't tried the Beast Stand, I think you guys will be pleasantly surprised. Get your hands on it at one of the shows or something. If you're around here, let me know. I can, I can let you mess with mine a little bit. Uh, get your hands on one. You'll love it. Go to huntingbeastgear.com and get you some beast gear. Also, got to talk to you about what Exodus has going on. Uh, my buddies over there, they kind of informed me that, hey, I need to be telling people that Black Friday and Cyber Monday is coming up. And it's without a doubt going to be the best savings of the year over at Exodus. Last year, their sale closed out within an hour, and I just wanted to tell you guys to go over their website, sign up for their newsletter, get on that list so that you can get on them sales quick before you know, the inventory runs out. You won't want to miss these entire site-wide savings. They're going to have their tailored-built MMT arrows on sale, which is what me and Dan are shooting this year. Their uh, Verizon 4G LTE cell camera, the Exodus Render, and um, all their trail camera accessories are going to be on. So I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're, um, they're closed. They got, they got some pretty cool shirts and stuff over there too. Are going to be on sale. Those guys are great. They produce a whole bunch of great content as well on their YouTube channel. And they have some some of the best podcasts in the in the industry as well. I think they got three different ones now: Trail Cam Radio, the Deer Gear Podcast, and Jake's podcast over there uh, about land. So don't want to miss all that stuff. If you don't know about Exodus, the Exodus Advantage, I'll just tell you about it. There's kind of three things: they got five year no BS warranty, five year theft and damage coverage, and best in class customer service so head over to excessoutdoorgear.com sign up for their newsletter and get some of the best savings of the year and support the folks that keep the show running okay all that stuff i talked about is in the description of this podcast and also my social media stuff's in the description of this podcast as well go over there and follow that i'm trying to keep up on that a little bit better and go over to the youtube channel before the echo hit the subscribe button hit the bell for notifications there's all kinds of cool stuff on that channel uh, if you want to actually see me and Dan do these things in person. All right, let's get into the episode. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hey, everybody. How's it going, Dan? I'm alive. <laughs> Good. You got a break from hunting tonight, it sounds like. Yeah. Went out Probably bad day to take a break driving home from work. There's just bucks running around everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I had a Zank, my buddy, said he's out shining, he was out shining uh, with his boy, and they saw a pretty nice one out. So... It sounds like uh, just a lot of people from Wisconsin are on deer right now or seeing deer. So, yeah, they've been oh well. Good. Yeah, I guess there's more important things than deer hunting some nights. <laughs> it's voting day. Uh, Had to go stand yeah. in line. Yeah, I went uh, middle of the day today, and I think Maddie did too. So um, it wasn't too bad, or at least where I was when I went and voted, it wasn't the line wasn't bad. So. Um, pretty, pretty seamless. <laughs> anyway, uh, how's your week been hunting? I haven't really talked to you about hunting this week. Uh, the last week, I guess. I don't know. It's been interesting. Uh, I haven't killed anything, but, uh, there's a lot of stuff moving around. Um, I, I walked in on, um, uh, Dave's farm, took Rick back there and I've been hunting a very large tender that showed up. Now mm-hmm. I thought. You know, I was onto a really big heavy rack buck that I got pictures from going back a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got, I started getting pictures of them like crazy. And in this rut, these rut phases, you get these, um, you get pictures of a buck like that, or you get a sighting, you got to act on it. You get two or three days during an area, you know? And uh, I acted on the big one and we moved in and we were, we were going after him. And it was right after I, uh, you know, you know, not very long after I next shot that buck, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, my neighbor ended up uh, um, shooting it, hmm. so he didn't recover that one. Um, so it's out there somewhere. But he gut shot it, so I'm pretty sure he killed it. Yeah, he a dog. Dog couldn't find it. Um, so um, I thought all the deer were dead on there, the big bucks, because I have been running cameras on there all year. And then uh, one day this real big 10 shows up um, on the front of the farm. And the same day in the afternoon, he shows up in the back of the farm um, in, in the doe bedding areas, which is where the cameras are. Right. And uh, I was trying to get onto that buck. So me and uh, Rick went out there trying to get on that buck. And we got to the um, just barely onto the property to the top. And uh, we see a buck as he's climbing the uh, stand. We see a buck out in front of us about, I don't know, 100 yards, st- just standing there looking at us. And I thought it was kind of weird, but then I started walking towards it because I had to go past where the buck was. But it obviously wasn't a shooter. I couldn't see antlers. You could just tell it was a buck. Yeah. And I started walking towards it. It trotted up the hill, and you could see a little, like, fork rack or something, you know. It runs up the hill. But then another one comes bounding out of the bedding area right there and looks at me. And this is a bigger buck, um, but all its tines are sheared off. Hmm. Um, still probably not a shooter, but probably a, a good two-year-old or something, you know, all the tines sheared off. Um, and it sees me and bolts into the, to like the high grass, but it's a little island of high grass and it never comes out of it. And as I'm walking that way, he comes sticking his head back out, cocks his head and looks around the corner at me. And then starts walking at me. And I'm thinking, this is weird. 
And then I hear a commotion to my left and about 20 yards from me, a doe stands up and two more bucks. And one of the bucks was a really big eight pointer, um, probably over 140. Um, mm. And uh, they start chasing the doe through this cornfield and paid no attention to me whatsoever. The, the, the bigger buck kept trying to run off the, the buck, the other buck that was uh, two year old. And the two-year-old with the sheared antlers ran across the field where the, the fork went. And then I proceeded to sit the whole night without seeing nothing. Rick saw a couple, but um, they're rutting real good, but they're, they're it's spotty, you know. You get a a, a, a buck on a camera for uh, one to three days where he'll be there where the does are. Yeah. And if you don't act right away, they're gone. Yeah. You know? They get in there, do their job, and leave on to the next yep. yeah area <laughs> doe group mm-hmm. yeah for sure then you were uh you were in indiana too for a little while mm-hmm. yep that wasn't much, as exciting not, as wisconsin say not much to talk about <laughs> well I, I did have an interaction with a with a big buck i went after that yeah. uh, you, you know that 10 pointer that i hunted on uh on the public land challenge but that'll probably come up in a video so i won't talk yeah. to you about that Yep. Yep. Um, I've been hunting with Maddie the last, uh, whatever, couple weeks here and we've probably sit four or five times now. She doesn't, she doesn't always get off work in time, you know, with the, especially now with the freaking time change, you don't, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't get in the woods in time. You know, she, she gets off around three thirty or four. It's still, that's still too late. Um, but tonight, uh, or not tonight, uh, earlier, uh, later last week, I guess it'd be about a, about a week ago, we sat in a uh, really good area uh, that's usually has some really good bucks this time of year. Essentially, it's just a little pinch between two bedding areas. Um, and she actually passed a really pretty good little seven pointer, which um, I was pretty proud of her for doing that. Uh, it's it, was, it would have been her biggest buck she'd ever killed, but uh, it was probably just a year and a half old. Um, she's killed another year and a half old. She killed probably whatever, 10 years ago. Um, but it came in, it was just a, like a year and a half old seven pointer. And, um, I didn't know what she was going to do. You know, I, I was going to let her shoot it if she wanted to. And, um, I kind of looked at her and she's like, I don't, she's like, it doesn't get me excited. I don't want to shoot it. And, uh, she passed it and we saw a couple other does that night on that little pinch, but the rut really wasn't firing up last week around here. It didn't seem like, then tonight, uh, we went out again tonight and set in a new area, kind of in the, in the same general area, but in a, a different location in the area. And the farmer had just picked uh, a cornfield and there was like a, a field next to the cornfield that they didn't plant and it had grown up in really nasty, like cockaburs and everything else were, were real nasty in there. And the farmer texted me in the middle of the day today and he said he saw a couple, a nice buck and a couple other bucks run into those cockaburs when he was picking uh the crops so we, we went and sat in there and that nice buck that he saw go in actually came out of the cockapurs and went back into the the field i mean it was far away from us a couple hundred yards away from us um but she got excited there for a little bit because it like ran over our direction it was still 100 150 yards away but it ran over real quick and she got she got ready real quick and thought it was going to come in and um so it was it was pretty cool to see uh you know she hasn't seen very many 
like rack bucks in the in the woods. So whenever tonight she was excited about that, which it was pretty cool. Um, but no luck yet for her. We're trying. We don't hunt. She doesn't hunt mornings and she doesn't hunt cold weather. So we're getting, <laughs> our options are starting to get narrow here. Uh, but we're going to keep going. She's not going to use a gun either. She kind of is refusing to take out a rifle. She wants to shoot one of the bow. Um, and I leave for Ohio Friday, so I'll be, um, you know, she won't go then either, but we'll see. Had something interesting happen to me tonight though. The, the farmer texted me as he was picking the crops, you know, and he's like, uh, is this your box blind out here? And I'm like, I'm like, no. He goes, someone put a box blind on the, uh, the property line facing into my field. And I'm like, oh, wasn't me, man. Uh, so the, the property lines are in the middle of the fields. Like they're, there's just fields that butt up to each other, different landowners. And this particular piece of property has like a, uh, it's just 40 acres. Maybe it may not even be that, that much, but someone, someone has put, uh, two box blinds on both corners of the field on the property line, facing out into, you know, not my field, but the farmer that lets me hunts field. And then they have two other ones, uh, back in the other corners of the property. Um, he seemed pretty, uh, upset about it. He's going to go put a no trespassing sign in his field facing up into the box blind. So I'd put one on, on stilts. That's 20 feet high, just as high as the, um, stand that's the size of a sheet of plywood yeah and uh <laughs> I, I mean if you if you set up to shoot onto the property without asking yeah that would probably if i was the landowner eliminate your chance to come over and track a deer onto my property yeah for sure and that's a that's the bad part is like i don't i'm not so sure if he would that guy whoever it is would ask the pro- farmer he probably would have said yeah you can shoot over there you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if he would say that uh, but since he didn't, right. you know, didn't ask, right? yeah, it irritated him. Um, but yeah, I don't know what he's going to do. We got to, I'm not going to be down there opening. I'm sure they're going to be gun hunting, uh, Saturday, but I'm not going to be down there. Uh, but another guy that hunts out there with us is going to be down there. So it'll be interesting to see what those people end up doing. Um, so we had a similar problem like that on, uh, Dave's farm for a while. Um, mm-hmm. We have people in the back that uh, would wait for us to be gone and would come up and drive the land. They would run through it. They'd drop people off in trucks and they'd just run through the property and chase all the deer onto their property and they'd shoot them. Mm-hmm. They would sneak on the property and hunt. And uh, we didn't really want to overhunt the property. We would stay out of there for like the opening weekend of gun and go in there later in the week and all the deer would be piled up in there. But when they started realizing that, they'd be sneaking over, ruining it for us. So, um, we didn't really want to change our plans. We like doing deer drives opening weekend and then coming to the property later on. And, uh, so what we did was we took some old orange hunting clothes that were just some fins that we don't wear anymore. And we made, uh, mannequins out of them and put them in stands. And that problem stopped because every time they look <laughs> there'd be a guy in a tree. Right. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to do something like that. That's funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's going to try to go down there Saturday and, and talk to the people or, or what, but anyway, it's always something on that farm though. Like it's, if, if you got a stand in view of that, you should think about doing a mannequin. Yeah, no, we do. We got, I mean, 
there we got a, like in the middle of the of the property I can hunt. There's a creek that runs through there, and we have a couple of uh, ladder stands up on that creek that so you can shoot it in the field, you know, for gun season. And uh, they're on the property line, looking in the same field we are. Um, which I am, uh, I don't know. My dad's had all kinds of bad luck with trespassers on that farm, so I'm kind of glad I saw it until send, sending him in there and him getting frustrated with more people messing around down there in front of him. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to do something because it's, they're, they're a huge eyesore too. They're, they, they cut like, it's not like a redneck, uh, box blind or anything. It's like a, a chemical tote they cut in half and they spray painted it camouflage, you know? Uh, and it's just sitting on a couple of, uh, just some stilts of some sort. So, uh, it just, it is, it is what it is. It, it doesn't surprise me in the least bit in that area. We always have something like that going on every year. It just hadn't been so bad the last couple of years because of the farmer. He kind of got serious about stopping trespassers when he started to realize how many people were messing around down there that he didn't know who they were. And, um, you know, and what actually changed it for him was that whenever they started allowing rifles here in Indiana, that made him real nervous. He's like, I don't, he goes, I don't like to think about there being, you know, 10 guys that I don't know on my property with high power rifles. He said, shotguns, I've, I just was not that big a deal to me, but these high power rifles, he's like, I don't like that. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's probably a good, good point. He's especially, he's like, you don't know who they are. And his father-in-law doesn't know who they are, you know, and they, we don't know where they're at cause they're trespassing, you know? And anyway, that's, that's kind of what actually tipped him to start thinking about trespassers seriously. Cause in the past, I think he just was like, whatever, you know, we tell him about them. Well, whatever. I don't I have time to mess with it, but. Um, sounds like we're going to have kind of some issues again here coming up. Anyway, well, uh, I put a, uh, post up on the Facebook page and on the Hunt and Beast forum. If people wanted to ask us some, I thought we'd just do a Q and A tonight because we haven't done one of those in a long time and kind of the middle of the season is a good time to do them. People may be stuck in a rut or something right now and want to, want to ask some questions. So I thought we'd just do that. Then we'll do some Q and A's, um, from the chat to you guys that aren't, have never been on. All you have to do is leave your questions in the chat over here and we'll try to get to them at the end of the, the podcast. We usually talk for like an hour and then we'll, um, then we'll answer questions and then I'll put a link in the comments if you want to call in and talk to, um, as long as I don't forget. So, uh, if you, if I'm not putting it in there and I'm, we're on to the Q and A, just comment on there and I'll, I'll put it on there. Just follow the instructions on the link that you click on. Um, also, make sure you subscribe if you haven't yet. Um, you can hit the bell notification, and, and YouTube should tell you whenever we're going to do all this stuff. So, anyway, you ready to get into it, Dan? Ready as I'm going to be. Yeah, all right. I kind of combined some questions because some of them were a little bit similar. Similar. Um, we got a lot of questions on how we hunt during the rut differently than we would any other time of the year. Mm. What do you think? Oh, that's a question. <laughs> that's a question. How oh, do we okay. hunt, how, how do we hunt differently? Um, I, I think this year it really hit me how much timing is involved in a rut, how I yeah. have to be, you, you know, I have a very short window when a, when a big buck moves in a position 
and it's hanging there in daylight. These big bucks aren't running around through funnels like everybody thinks they are, especially in high pressure areas. I mean, they go and they, they get on a doe area and they kind of lock in on these does. And when they do cruise, they kind of cruise in thick cover between two bedding areas where ain't a long distance. And that's not to say they don't go long distance hikes, you know, once or twice during a rut. I mean, otherwise nobody kill anything, right? But right. if you if you think about more of them staying in tight cover where the doe is bed, um, uh, that kind of thing, I think it, it really helps. Um, but I am noticing, too, that... Uh, a lot of the best spots that I hunt during a rut really don't have the sign you'd think. You know, um, one spot uh, I've known from years is a really good spot, and I just kind of stay out of there. I snuck in there three times this year. Um, and uh, the first time I saw 17 deer, uh, mostly bucks. And, uh, you know, the second time I think I saw seven and um then i saw you know five or so then the next time um but there wasn't really any rubs around there was a couple but i mean not like you'd think but just the way the terrain lays out i mean you're more hunting um like the doe bedding and the um the terrain where they should be you know what i mean um yeah than the sign which is different than when i travel trip because when i travel i'm not sure for sure where they're going to be. And I, and I kind of use that sign as a pacifier to tell me there's, you know, bucks there, but I think I got to get a little more trusting on um, terrain on those travel trips based on that. Because uh, when I go into those spots where I'm sure there's a big buck and the terrain is set up correctly, I generally have interactions, even though there's no, you know, real good big buck sign. That's not to say there isn't any on the property or anything like that. But it's to say that the, the actual spots don't always have all that sign, especially if you're in public land or, or low deer density where the deer don't spend a lot of time uh, competing against other bucks. They got it kind of to themselves. Yeah. Um, but that the main thing is that that window that you have of, uh, you know, a few days. Uh, one of the bucks um, I had on camera for five days straight. Every morning, every evening, he was on that camera going into a doe bedding area. Uh, but it was at night. So I finally slipped in there um, after he showed up in the morning in daylight. And it was just after dark the night before, and I had a good wind. I mm -hmm. thought it might be the night he messes up. Went in there, didn't see him, slipped out, and he was on the camera just after I left. Um, but studying maps and stuff while I was out there and looking at what I was seeing... I figured out that that deer was coming from a landmass out in the cattails. And uh, I moved to that landmass the next day, uh, which I think was actually day five of that buck coming in every day. And I yeah. uh, walked up there and there's a big shed that's off of deer bigger than him laying, laying there on the landmass. So I knew nobody had gotten in there because it was laying there from last year. And when we did the workshop last year, everybody stood in that spot. So that deer came in there after we did the workshop and dropped his antler right there. <laughs> um, but uh, I went in there and it was obviously where that deer was coming from because there was rubs in there all over the place. But I think where I intended to set up, he was betting. Um, I think I bumped him. I never heard him bump or anything, but the sign showed me that the deer was probably betting right there. Uh, yeah. And then when I went to go down, 
I saw a light on the uh, land where I'd hunted the night before where I was getting his picture, where he was coming to check on his doe every day. And then when I left, I ran into this young guy who uh, shot the doe that he was visiting every day. And that was the end of that buck. I never seen him again. Yeah. You got a short window. You got to go in there, make a move, and you either kill him or you don't. You can't dwell on it. A lot of guys would be like, well, that's the buck I'm hunting. And they, they just keep hunting it after it disappears or whatever. And then it it's never going to have any relaxation to come back out in daylight again. And, and you're just beating dead horse. Um, you can sit back, you do some observations and stuff, but it's better to have a, a variety of targets. Yeah. You're kind of like, well, that one's settling down. You go after another one. And uh, that's kind of what I've been doing, hopping from buck to buck, um, moving around. And actually, I think... Uh, one thing that's getting me is that I have uh, almost like too many targets. Like there's there's bucks. I'm thinking, man, I gotta hunt that. I got, but this one's hot. But I gotta hunt that one. But this one's hot. And then I miss windows and stuff, and it's kind of frustrating. But I just gotta, you, you know, focus on what do I really want and what is yeah. uh, set up correctly. Yeah, for sure. I I I would tell you like I don't hunt the rut that much different than when I. I do any other, uh, time of the year other than the fact, like I, um, I focus more on like Intel from either people around that have seen like, you know, people always like, oh, I just saw a giant buck out in this field over here, you know? And then I'll like key on that. Okay. That buck, you know, he's in this field with a doe, you know, they're probably going to be in this bedding area this evening or midday. I mean, that's what we did today. The farmer texted me midday. And he's like, Hey, I just watched a doe and a big mm-hmm. buck run into this area which he didn't he didn't know it's bedding he doesn't know the first thing about deer hunting he's like oh they just ran down this way you know i'm like oh that's where you know probably in this particular bedding area that's where we sat tonight we saw the buck he just we couldn't set up where he came out or or whatever so and even, I'll do that. even outside of the road that's how we kill a lot of them i mean think about the yeah on the, on the uh, battle of the bows yeah it's just during the rut and, and yeah. you did the hunt and and you know, that is kind of, in our area, that is like the very beginning of rut. But still, yeah. you saw the buck, you went in there, and, mm-hmm. and you didn't wait five days. You you know, <laughs> you go in there yeah. right away, and you, you take your chance, yeah. and you try to get it done. Yeah, I think some of, like, maybe a little bit of the difference in a rut is you can, I mean, sometimes you, they'll, you'll get away with um, a little more during the rut. Like, you can set back a little farther and be a little less aggressive and that kind of stuff, because they, especially if they're on a doe, but. Um, I also have some really good rut spots that are like our, uh, like from trail camera data over the past 10 years or 15 years, however long I've been around trail cameras, just like, um, like I got a particular spot that October 25th, there's always a good buck in it October. Mm-hmm. And I have another one that November, November 4th is always a good buck in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened again this year, like some nice bucks showed up those two, two dates. I, I see didn't that have too. It. Historical data is huge. Yep. So if you can like, you know, if you, if you have a particular funnel, um, or, you know, your typical rut type areas, people always talk about, and you can run some trail cameras over the years on them and you kind of figure out a little bit like, you know, okay, typically a lot of times on whatever, October 31st on Halloween, there's a buck that runs through there. And that's the only time that they go for some reason or another. I mean, the reason is, is probably because there's a doe and that lives there that comes in into estrus that time of year, but um, it's probably more that the, the doe family there is what's causing that than anything. But anyway, 
that's how I approach the rut. Hmm. It's a fun time of the year. Like when I go out of state though, I'll be honest with you. Like I'm going to Ohio next week. I don't know anything about Ohio. I don't have cameras there or nothing. I'll probably just hunt terrain features that are near that are, um, you know, that funnel deer that are near bedding areas is what I'll end up doing. Um, so <sighs> anyway, all right, that's enough about the, the rut. We had a, quite a few questions about the rut, so I wanted to talk about it a little bit. All right. There's another one that was pretty good. That's everybody's getting ready to be aff- affected by this. Cause our gun seasons are all coming pretty soon here. Uh, Zeke outdoors and Wade Reed. Zeke, I think they guys, they shot a buck tonight. I saw mm-hmm. on Facebook, they killed a, Pretty nice one. So I don't know if they're on, probably not if they shot a buck, but, um, he's, they said, uh, how do you approach, uh, land that has had deer drives through it many times? And then way to ask, uh, kind of the same question areas to look for, um, for bucks on public land after firearms season begins. Mm-hmm. That's when that overlooked stuff really comes in handy mm-hmm. because, um, I tend to find them in spots that people didn't get to. And if they get to everything, I don't think there's going to be much of any deer on there to really chase, but uh, there's usually something they're missing. I mean, um, I find little patches by the parking lots. Um, I mean, it's the same stuff we talk about all the time. Um, Yeah. But I actually, honestly, during gun season, I have always historically done better the end of the week than the beginning. Hmm. All the really big bucks I've shot have been at the end of the uh, our gun gun week. Um, I've shot bucks on opening day, um, but mostly in drives and stuff. Most of the ones I shoot sitting, I shoot later in the week. Um, and I think the reason for that is the pressure puts them in the spots where they belong. The more pressure, hmm. the more they're in those little tight spots where nobody goes. Um, you know, you'll find them in those spots all year, but I think the more the pressure, the more the harassment, the more they're in those little overlooked spots. And, uh, that's what you got to figure out. You got to figure out where, where are those? I mean, um, I've always done well by looking at something and looking at everybody walking on and saying, well, everybody's walking right past this. And sometimes it's stuff right next to the parking lot has the biggest bucks. I remember, uh, a guy at work uh, telling me that uh, he goes, uh, you hunt Rome Pond? I've, I've been out by Rome Pond, you know, which is where I live. And yeah, uh, I was like, yeah it gets pounded. He goes, ah, I, there's some big bucks out there. I want to give that a try. And uh, he comes out here to do a hunt and he shoots this big buck. And this guy, I mean, he never shot big bucks. <laughs> some old guy that just walked around with a gun, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, what did you do? How'd you, how'd you accomplish this? He goes, I parked in the main parking lot, walked up the hill, cut into the grass and it jumped up and I shot it. It was bedded like 50 feet from the parking lot, but nobody looks at the grass 50 feet from the parking lot. You know, it's, it's always those strange spots and guys have it in their head that deer belong in a certain type of terrain, you know, um, like the ridges, the woods, the, um, you know, certain places and, it's generally some little thick patch that everybody just walks around as your way on their way to get to those places is where they're, they're hold up, you know? And, uh, that's where you got to look during after pressure. And, uh, if there ain't those places, I would tend to think that there ain't too many good bucks on the property. You yeah. know, they have to have some place to live where they don't get killed. 
um, a good buck is four or five years old. When you got, when you're talking all the bow hunters and the gun hunters that go through a public property, they have to find some niche where people aren't killing them in order to get to that age. If they don't find that niche, they die. That's right. Yeah. They're, if, uh, if it was impossible to kill them during, uh, gun season, there wouldn't be any, you know, six year old deer, five year old deer, whatever, four year old deer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, or if it, if it was a, if, if everybody killed them, I guess there wouldn't be any old deer. So they're, they're there somewhere. You, I, you know, and I, I don't, I don't really have room to like talk on this because Indiana doesn't have the um, hunters you guys have, but like, is it as bad there as what everybody uh, says during gun season? I mean, is it, is it pretty well just pressure wise? Yeah. I think it's gotten better. Um, pressure's gotten heavier with bow and less with gun. Okay. It used to be just insane during gun season, the, yeah. the whole week. Um, now you see opening day is really heavy pressure, and then Sunday has like less pressure, and then mm-hmm. the whole rest of the week seems to just be really low pressure where I'm at. It used to really, I mean, if you just go back ten years ago, you know, after Thanksgiving, our area would get even more pressure than the first week because all the guys would come back from up north for Thanksgiving, yeah. and then yeah. they just spent the weekend around the house. Um, but I don't see that anymore. You just see this like uh, opening day mentality for gun. Um, but people take the bow hunting more serious. I mean, there's a lot of guys out here um, opening day. And there's guys out here throughout the gun season, but not as much pressure as it used to be. Hmm. I wonder if it is that like there's there's more serious deer hunters, but less of your casual deer hunters anymore. Like there's a lot of guys that take it real serious, bow hunters, this and that. But then the, the guys that, you know, um, the guys that used to do all that, I'm going to go hunt for one weekend a year and that's it. One of those people are kind of either dying off a, eh, or just getting old and the, the younger crowds either really into it or don't do it at all. What I, I do know. see for gun is like, I see, um, uh, opening day, you'll run into a guy sitting in the middle of a 40 acre, uh, wood lot. That's, yeah. you know, mature hardwoods where he's never going to see a deer mm-hmm. and as you're walking past to get where you're going you look around him and in every direction you can see orange and you think you really think a deer is going to make it to you yeah <laughs> there's no place for him to bed in here how's he even going to get to you you know he, right. has to, he has to run through gunfire to get to you and you just you see more of the guys um opening day and opening weekend that are set up incorrectly that um aren't smart about their setups that are um, just wandering through the woods with a gun. Um, And then later in the week, you start seeing more, you know, a lot less people, but the people you see seem serious or they're taking kayaks out. You know, know, they're going back into thick stuff. Um, Yeah. Hmm. All right. We had, this is a question from the forum, the website. Uh, Moose asked this one. He says, Dan, what other passion, passions do you have other than hunting? Could you see yourself being as dedicated to it as you are with hunting? Mm. I really like cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I like uh, machining. Um, uh, yeah. I like building stuff. Um, but... Uh, I don't know. It's a different kind of passion. It's a whole different world. You know, um, I just had that conversation with, uh, with a guy at work, um, that I kind of do some work for. 
and uh, I, I, to, I told him that, uh, you know, he was like, you should really quit. Just go do your passion thing with the, the hunting. And I says, well, I have a passion for machine. I love what I do here. I yeah. said, I just, I just like to work like 20 hours a week, not yeah. 40, and still get paid, <laughs> you know, but uh, uh, yeah, I love machining and not necessarily, you know, like making widgets, but yeah. designing and building new products for companies. I love doing that. Um, there is a passion with that. Um, there's a pride in what you build, um, but there's nothing like uh, hunting to me. I mean, I used to, uh, when I was younger, really love fishing like shore fishing i used yeah. to love to explore rivers and stuff and go up and uh catch pike out of them mostly northerns big northerns i used to like to fish for and um you, you know i just lost the passion because it took away from my deer hunting i just always wanted to be you know the deer hunting always had more a pull on me and yeah uh, that's just it predator yeah i've always like thought about this too like i've always i've had like little things i've went in and out of gotten into this and that and like the only thing that's ever been with me since day one is hunting like it's that's never went away whereas other little hobbies or whatever you call passions have kind of they go and come and go come and go i get into woodworking and rr i get into golfing or this or that you know and it's all just it all fades away eventually and hunting never has for me um, yeah, I like all kinds of stuff, survival, all kind. Of, but yeah, I don't have the time to put into it. I got yeah. effort into one thing, and that's the thing that I, I love the most, which is which is the chase. Yeah, I used to be real passionate about fishing too, and I think once my grandpa uh, got Alzheimer's and he couldn't fish anymore, that's when I kind of stopped fishing too. I think that's the only reason I liked it is because it's something me and my grandpa did together. Um, but maybe when I get older, maybe I'll start liking fishing again or something. You know, I don't know. But um, anyway, that was a good question. Something different. All right. Let's see here. Someone else asked a, uh, a question that we, we kind of went over about rut hunting, but this, he words in a little di different way. He says, when your historically good rut spots are slow, how should I adjust? He said, you want to just keep sitting them or... or uh, uh, wait, waiting for eventually a good one to come by or abandon them altogether. It's one of two things you can do. You can, uh, you can, uh, walk away and go look for something that's hot or you can, uh, you, you can walk away and then come back in five days or so and see if something came in there. Um, but I, I would strongly recommend hopping around, moving, you ain't got, if you not, don't have sign, you don't have action, you don't ha you're not seeing anything, keep moving. I mean, yeah, if you yeah. what will bring me back to a spot in rut is if doe groups go by me. Mm. Like if I see a doe with fawns and it's, and it's like the beginning of the rut, I'm like, well, she's going to lose her fawn soon. Then she's going to go into heat and somebody's going to be trailing her. She's on this pattern. So I'll just leave this area and I'll figure she's still got her fawns now. So it'll be at least three days. She might lose them tomorrow or the next day or something. But when she, but the buck's going to be with her a couple days. So I'll give her three, four days and I'll come back if I didn't spook her out of there. Right. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I mean, if I'm not seeing nothing, I go in an area, there's nothing there. I'm not coming back. Um, I might, I might come back if, if man, I got a lot of history with this. Maybe I come back. 
but uh, I don't like hunting the same spots twice. Um, and if historically you're on the right dates and it ain't happening, something changed here, in, in my opinion. So I would just uh, keep moving, keep hopping around, keep trying things. Yep. There are some guys though that like their their strength is they can just sit somewhere forever, and that is not me. I can't sit. I can't hardly sit until eleven o'clock. You know. Uh, yeah, I know some guys, guys that'll just sit the same tree forever, do or die. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that. But there, I mean, it isn't. I mean, some people you, you got to obviously know what you're doing and have like a good spot still. But like some people just, I'm like, I'll sit here for seven days until one walks by me and that's they kill one. It's just like, oh. When those deer are cruising around and you're in a good, good spot for them to show up and cruise past. Yeah. They have never been there to smell that you've been there. Yeah. Right. Right. And I do got some spots too. Like one spot where I'm watching a doe with fawns where I can get in there anytime there's a North wind and yep. never come to the area where the deer are, but be able to shoot it. Yep. So I can have the wind blowing in my face and have them deer walk by and I can check on them. So that I like that spot because of that, because I think if you get your scent in there uh, uh, two, three times that bucks are going to get leery. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, let's see. Here's another forum question. It says, uh, his name is I think swamp donkey. Sounds like a primo's product of some sort. Swamp Curious don swamp donkey. Yeah. That was like a, some kind of mineral attractant they used to have called Swamp Donkey or something. Oh, maybe it was like one of those um, uh, newfangled beers, you know, that, that just like yeah, 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 yeah. some kind of yeah, some local some local brewery made. Um, he says he's curious on how you keep up selecting hunting spots. So, what's your method methodology in working through your spots? So how I pick where I'm going every day or. Yep. I think that's what he means. So like, if you think about like you're, you're scouting the springtime and you have all these spots or just over the years, you have all these spots. He's asking like, how do you decide where you're going to go? And I didn't, I didn't copy his whole question here, but I remember he did mention it uh, later on in his explanation was like, you know, he does, he has a lot of spots and he don't, doesn't have all the time in the world to hit all of them. So he's like, how do I choose where to go? Okay. So for me, I'm going to go to the spot that, uh, I feel has the the best hope, right? Yeah. For whatever reason, maybe I got history with a buck from last year there. That gives me an incentive. Maybe I seen something in there during the summer. You know, I'm going to start hitting a lot of spots. I'm going to spread myself out then. And I'm going to try some new spots where I see things. I'm going to hear rumors about big bucks and I'm going to go try areas. And what's going to happen is I'm going to see bucks. I'm going to see sign and I'm going to see a bunch of nothing. And I'm going to start narrowing focus. And I'm going to start focusing in on where these target animals are. So not to focus in on like, say, five, six areas. And then narrow that down even further on the bigger ones. And start just picking on uh, the bigger bucks that I have for targets. So um, I still spread myself out. But the focus narrows in. And there will be a lot of spots that I think are really good that I never make it to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the same exact way either. I'll, you know, I typically I'm getting my initial spots from trail camera pictures I've had during the summer or the early fall, you know, and I'll have like two or three bucks. I really want to go after for the first couple 
weeks of season. And that's, that's where I'll focus my, all my attention on. Uh, and then from there it kind of gets just wild, the wild west out here. I just start going crazy kind of, and, uh, going in historical spots or just chasing deer around. So there's uh, kind of like a, a inner struggle with me. Um, like where I'm thinking, you know, I have to go after this big buck. Yeah. That I know about right now that is in here somewhere. I got to go after him. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I need to be in that other spot where I know that buck's, you know, I just had an interaction with that buck. And if I don't get back over there, he's going to be gone. There's a timing thing. But I really want to shoot this one. And there's this yeah. struggle and I end up having to choose. And uh, I think anybody who's uh, you know, doing it our way is going to have those struggles, especially if you have passion in it. I mean, if it's if you're not passionate about it, you can just go flip a coin. But yeah, there's a struggle right. inside me that really gives me some frustration about which spot to go to. Wishing I could uh, do do-overs on days and go, okay, this one didn't work out. Let's do today instead over here. <laughs> Try it yeah. again. Yeah. Something that I I want to get better at, and this, I don't know if this sounds bad or not. I don't really care, but like, like I, I want to become a better trophy hunter as a deer hunter, if that makes sense. Like, I'm bad at letting a 125 or 130 inch deer walk by me. Um, you know, I and I, I every year I have pictures or am on deer that are giants, like Boone and Crockett class deer. Um, and I'll hunt them, you know, the first few days of season or the first week of season, but then it's like I'll get a you know, some intel on a 130-inch deer. I'm like, oh, I can go kill him. I know I could, you know, and then I go and kill him. And then it's like, ah, man, do I, you know, it's like I should put more time into some of these big, big deer I have on camera, but I'm not not quite there yet. I, I, I'm assuming maybe one day I will be. Maybe not. Maybe I'll just keep shooting nice deer and be happy, but um, you can't you can't shoot a 180-inch deer whenever you shoot a 130 inch deer every uh every year i guess but it depends anyway. on what you want yeah right some guys just like shooting know. a good buck every year and some guys want to shoot giants and if you yeah if you're going to shoot just giants you have to do some sacrificing with uh going a couple of years where you just don't pan out yeah another, another issue that i like am always contemplating is like like this year i was like i had a couple of really big deer i was well kind of one that i was that was consistently showing up um, but then I got to thinking like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to go to Michigan and then, oh, then I got to go to Wisconsin and then I got, you know, that I got to go to Ohio. Then I'm thinking, man, you know, maybe I should just shoot a nice deer here in Indiana and, and then not worry about it anymore. Um, but it's all, I'm, that's a stupid, like, I'm not complaining at all, but like, that's just, yeah, you, got a, you got a great buck and it's just a matter of afterthought. Yeah. I have that yeah. stuff too. I mean, it goes through your head. I mean, um. Uh... Last year was kind of weird. I mean, I shot that buck day five, and you're sitting there going, okay, now what? Yeah, but that was a big deer. Your oh, deer yeah. Big. You, you could not shoot that animal. I mean, that was my yeah. target. Animal. Mm-hmm. That's what I had to go after. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Anyway. No, I don't have any regrets for shooting a you know 130-inch deer with a longbow, but it's like I know where there's a 180-inch deer running around right now. You know, and I had, you know, um, anyway just things that I think about in my weird head. All right. Um, while we're on the topic of rut, Gary asked if we, if you have a favorite rut story, anything like crazy happened to you during the rut, Dan? Uh, 
Jeez, I think the off the top of my head, the weirdest one I can think of is uh, I was hunting with a guy I used to know years ago uh, named John Gillis, um, and he he set up, and I was gonna go find a spot to set up, and he was like uh, asking me if I could just push this little piece of brush to him before I left or whatever, and I did. And I got into this brush and. Uh, I look up and there's a doe standing in front of me. And then I look at, on my other side, there's this real big 10 pointer. And I didn't have my bow with me. I was like looking for a spot to set up and I was mm-hmm. going to go back and get my bow. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there between this doe and this buck and that buck is doing everything he can to get around me. And, uh, John was on the other side of the buck and I was thinking I could chase it to him. So, um, I kind of moved towards the buck and then, uh, he tried to run around me and I ran at him. And there was some thin ice and uh, the buck was crashing through the ice. And uh, I actually got my hands on the thing's rear end because he got so close to me that when he turned around, <laughs> I was able to, I almost grabbed him. But, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to hold on to him. But <laughs> it ran straight for John and then uh, it was crashing through stuff. And I thought for sure he was going to get a shot at it. And then when I talked to him later, he said he never even saw it. He heard the commotion. How it never went past him, I don't know. It was running right at him. But it was kind of weird because I got so close to it. Um, that is crazy. Yeah. I've never had anything like that happen to me. I don't know if I have a really good rut story. I mean, I've always had some good – I've got some good rut sits where it's a lot of action and stuff, but nothing nothing too crazy. I've seen some uh, – watched a buck, uh, like, chasing around a doe and try to cut her off, and he ended up just, like, nose diving off the – side of a bridge and died like he just broke his back or whatever and died down there and someone went down there and shot him but uh, they do stupid things like that but i've never never actually got a touch deer but um ai thanks for the donation that'll buy me a gallon of gas for going to ohio so yeah thanks thanks uh thanks so much ai if you have any quite if you have a question let me know um oh here we go he does have one how far can a liver shot buck go? We had one walk 500 yards and bed down. He got bumped and we lost the trail. I got a good answer for that one. What is so, it? Um, in 1990, just a long time ago, that's probably longer than you've been alive. Yep. I was born in 91. So yeah, 1990. I still remember the hunt. Well, it was the last day of the season, freezing cold. It was wind chill advisors. You shouldn't go outside. Uh, I shot this buck and my bow froze up because back in those days we had w- wooden laminate bows mm-hmm. that ice up on you. Yeah. And then the bow had hardly any pressure, and, but you couldn't pull it back because it was so cold. Um, I ended up shooting this buck for just make a long story short and hitting him in the liver and he ran off and I tracked him too soon. I figured I had some snow and I had a lot of blood. I knew it was liver blood. I, I mean, it was dark red and stuff. But I was younger, cockier, and thought you could beat it, which a lot of people do. I get people calling me all the time. What should I do? I got a liver shot deer. Should I wait an hour? You're like, no, you got to wait at least like six hours. I'd wait 12. And they'll tell you, oh, I think I could go sooner. Because you think you can. You know, I got some right. blood. You know? But I pushed it. And I jumped that buck. Now, I had snow. So when I jumped him, you know, I waited like a couple hours or something. But I, I pushed him too fast, and I jumped him. So he only went, you know, like a hundred yards or so, like they always do. They, they run a little ways, they lay down. 
but you bumped them things and they can move a long distance. So I waited then overnight and the next morning I got on that thing's trail and I followed it over five miles before I found it dead. And it looked like it died walking. It just, it, it wasn't even in a bed, but it had gotten like five miles. Um, and I would never, ever, ever have found that buck without snow. Yeah. I don't even know if you'd have too much luck with a dog if it got five miles. I mean, they're going to lose the trail eventually, you know? Right. But the fact that I had snow, fresh snow, and I could follow his track and the occasional drop of blood to just verify um, kept me on the track. Um, so they can go a very long distance. And I I could cite several examples where we've we've tracked liver shot deer and gone a mile or more. But only reason we're found it is because of because of blood because we had enough blood um the thing is too when they bed down they tend to bed under wound and uh, like pack the earth against it and and uh, i don't know if they do that on purpose it's just nature i mean they put where it hurts right. against the dirt or something but it clots up and when they get back up they don't bleed so once you jump them out of that bed now you don't have a blood trail or you have very little or they stop right away after jumping up um so yeah the last thing you want to do is jump them things um but sometimes that's out of your control a coyote can do it uh, yeah. a hiker can do it uh sometimes i've had them uh liver shot ones go forever and you don't know why because you didn't track it. you did what was right maybe it was coyotes maybe i, I have no idea but uh yeah I, i've seen five miles they're dead though you hit them in the liver they're dead yeah it's just a matter of finding them how long would you tell someone that just shot one liver to wait uh, before they go tracking it? I would say at least six hours. Uh, and I used to say six hours, but I've seen a couple live past six hours now. Mm -hmm. Not very many, but every now and then, like if you hit the edge of the liver or the top of the liver or something, I've seen it where they, uh, they live a little longer. Um, they actually don't die of bleeding. That's what people don't understand. They're like, well, you'll bleed out. It's not really the blood loss that kills them with a liver shot. It's it's a toxic poisoning from mixing the insides of the liver into their blood system. Um, same as a gut shot, but a gut shot uh, takes longer. It's a, like a little different, but they actually die of like a poisoning. Um, so uh, with liver shot deer, I would wait at least six hours. If I center punch the liver, I think six hours is pretty safe. Um, but the if it's going to be dark when you're going to track it, just wait till morning. Yeah. Just, you know, give it the time. And then at least you can take your bow. And if it is sick a little or something, you can still get an arrow in it where it's not legal to do that in most places at night to dispatch. Right. It. You know, um, gut shot deer, if you shot it in the stomach, I'd wait at least 12. Um, but I've seen them last longer too. Um, I've seen them, if you get them in the intestine, kind of like behind the guts mm -hmm. a little bit, I've seen them go 15 hours, sometimes more. But they're gonna die. Yeah. Yep. It's very Liver important. If you're ten to two, they go down to water. Mm -hmm. uh, something about it like burns when they get liver yeah. shot, and they want to lay in water. A lot of times, I've found them actually floating in ponds or mm -hmm. bedded in water, where you don't see them normally bed in water. But there's something about a liver shot that makes them want to go to water. Hmm. Yep. All right. Um, yeah, once you, uh, once you've 
had a horrible track tracking experience because you went in earlier or something that kind of smartened you up on that stuff. Um, all right. Zank asked, uh, my buddy Zank asked, he says, how does bucks use rivers and streams during the rut? Uh, just like any other terrain feature. I mean, um, there'll be places where they cross. There'll be, uh, places where it funnels them, but otherwise it's just another terrain feature to, to me. I don't think that it's nothing special kind of anyth- or anything like that. Right. I mean, you can use like, uh, like I remember, uh, when I talked about, uh, how they bed in oxbows, mm-hmm. I remember, uh, Stanley, you remember Stanley from the beast? He, he uh, mm-hmm. passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, he told me that he killed a lot of bucks on oxbows, but not the way I did. He killed them on the outsides of oxbows. Well, he mostly rut hunted. And he said that outside of the oxbows would funnel them because it would push them up against the field or whatever, you know, um, because it made the, the river took a bigger space and would push them up against something usually, you know. Um, and that space, when they he'd use that as a funnel. So, yeah. All right. You got any on that? Uh, I mean. I'm a dud on that one. Yeah, as far as like rivers or streams, I mean, I hunt a lot, a lot of uh, streams. And they definitely like maybe use it more often as like travel corridors to get from one area to, to the next or something like that. Uh, if they're skipping around to the doe bedding areas. Um, but like a lot of times they're just in those areas cause there's does bedded, you know, it's good bedding somewhere or along the stream or something. So I don't, I don't really have anything like, I wouldn't tell you like, you know, streams or rivers can be good anytime because it's, it's a terrain feature that they, they use, you know, bed on to the, the bedding on the mm-hmm. oxbows and stuff will bring them there because even if it's does, they're going to come there to check the bedding. Let's just see if the does are there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they usually use them because it's cover form too. You know, a, a stream or a, a river, some type of a uh, something that they can use to hide. Um, all right, here's a good question that you're going to have to answer because I don't know if I completely understand this uh, myself. Mostly because I don't, I don't, I've never took the time to learn it uh, all the way. But Michael Dirk says, "I hear the phrase moon overhead and underfoot,' but can you guys explain what?" Uh, that is and how the deer use it. He said he has a hard time following that. I have a vague understanding of it, but I just don't pay that much attention to it. So I. Okay. So moon overhead and underfoot, what that means is exactly what it sounds like. Moon straight up is overhead, straight down is underfoot. Um, some studies indicate that uh, deer move more in those time periods. Some indicate that they don't. Um, my personal observations say they do, but not everywhere is and pressure affects it dramatically. Mm-hmm. Like uh, in non-pressured areas I saw in my observations, um, deer move a lot more overhead and underfoot time periods, mostly overhead. Um, however, um, I always seen that the best results with the overhead moon was when that occurred in the last hour of daylight or the first hour of daylight then you had excessive movement in those time periods like like uh the deer would move a little earlier or a little longer per se right 
Um, mm-hmm. But I can remember uh, um, in my journals hunting hill country where they um, in western Wisconsin where they moved more in daylight where I would document times when I saw the deer and uh, I'd see uh, like say nine deer in a day a day of hunting during the rut peak rut and uh, uh, seven or eight of those deer would be at the time moon was overhead within an hour of it so in that case, I definitely saw some uh, alignment with that. Um, you know, and uh, you often see deer on patterns. Anybody that watches deer and watches movement and hunts consistently has to see this, that uh, you'll have a while when they're moving in the morning and then it'll shift to midday and then it'll shift to the evening. You can just see the shift of timing. You know, like, and then you won't be seeing them in the evening until like the last light, but also you see them in the mornings a lot, you know, like during rut and stuff. Right. And you just see the shift, like even, uh, like when we shine during the summer and we shine deer now it's midsummer, right. But you can go out at a period of time at night, like say you go out at 10 o'clock and you can shine. And if you don't see deer in the first five fields, they're just not out. They're all bedded and you can shine all over the place. You might see one or two but come out a few, just go home and come out a few hours later and they're in every field and you'll see this time period of when they move shift around now i can't say for sure that that has to do with the moon i haven't studied it enough i have seen some um you know biologists and stuff say they did studies that showed no effect but i personally did studies that saw an effect i, I also saw some biologists that said it did have an effect when they did a study so um I don't know. I, I hunt all the time, so it doesn't affect me that much. I hunt whenever I have any free time at all. But yeah. it's a good thing to know because if if you if if you can uh, hunt certain hours or certain days, picking that day I do think helps. That moon overhead day. Yeah, we've we talked about it a little bit on the podcast or the show uh, in the past. It's just like it's one of those little things that just moves the needle a little bit in your favor again, you know, um, yeah. and as many of those things as you can put in your favor is not a bad thing at all. Greenhorn Dave says, uh, yeah. if you scout behind, behind Dan and Hills, you'll get moon overhead at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Funny. See, I almost, funny. Got, I almost called him a name. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. There's a, uh, yeah, Dave's funny. I miss Dave. I haven't seen him this year. I, I got to see him in, at Fort McCoy last year. I haven't seen him this year. Um, let's see here. There was a, where was this question at? I wanted to talk to you about it. Here it is. He kind of worded it funny too. He said, fixed versus mechanicals, ready, fight. <laughs> Jeez. What do you think, Dan? Do you no, have you did you, have you ever lots of them sitting here somewhere? So I know. Long. No, yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't like mechanicals on um, just the designs of them and stuff. Um, they're they're prone to fail and they're prone to um, have problems on because of the size of them getting through any kind of uh, solid matter. Um, I like a fixed blade. Um, 
I just don't like them. I mean, you hit something on an angle and the blades that are contacting first open, it'll kick the arrow sideways. Um, if you hit something solid like a bone or just the way you hit ribs and stuff, it can, it can cause you not to have good penetration. You often don't get a pass through if you hit the far shoulder and uh, you, you don't get a blood trail. And what do you get about it? You, you know, when, when you talk to people about this, they'll be like, but when I shoot one, I get this giant blood trail if I hit them perfect. You hit them perfect with anything, you get a giant blood trail. You know, um, the only um, benefit you have with a, a mechanical broadhead, I think, is if you hit them in the liver or the guts, they die faster. But if you track them correctly, you almost always get your liver and gut shot deer too. You just have to be patient. Um, you don't have to have a giant hole through the liver or the guts. Um, so I don't really see a, a huge benefit in them. I see more minuses. I know, um, and and I'll give it a little credit here because I'm sure they've advanced a lot um, since the days I'm talking about. But when I used to guide, um, we saw like uh, the rate of wounded deer went way up with the mechanical users over the, the, um, the guys who showed up and shot, um, uh, fixed broadheads. Um, one of the outfitters I worked for actually, because that banned all mechanical broadheads because of how many wounds he had just from mechanical broadheads. And I saw that at more than one place. Um, but again, that's 10 plus years ago and they've probably advanced since then. Um, but uh, I'd still be a little leery of them. I think you do also have to have uh, some good kinetic energy behind them. I don't think you want to be shooting a 50-pound bow or something. I think you need to have some power behind those things. Yeah. I've killed a whole bunch of deer with mechanicals. And I just, uh, to me, it's just a why, you know, especially nowadays, there's so many good fixed blade broadheads. You know, I think back 10 years ago, you could probably make an argument that like some of the fixed blades weren't worth a crap. You know, some of them got pretty cheap and oh, yeah. crappy, yeah. Mm -hmm. but now it's like, there's a lot of options on the market to where you can have a good high quality fixed blade. That's sharp is, uh, tolerances are very tight and they'll fly good out of your bow, you know? So, um, it just seems like to me anymore, it's like, why, why take the chance? I mean, that's a good point. I mean, when I, um, uh, I always did really, really well with muzzies back in the day yeah and muzzies changed hands and um, um mm -hmm. the company that bought them um started making them in china mm -hmm. and uh i think it's china china or taiwan or something like that but right uh, i started getting them where they wouldn't have one flute wouldn't be cut into it mm -hmm. for blade or whatever mm -hmm. You're like okay you throw that away but then when you spin test them you get a bunch of them that were bent or warped or whatever yeah they spin like uh, this yeah. yeah and then you get where you're uh you, you, you know, some of them would just fly and you'd have to test shoot every one of them. And it was like, it wasn't like that at first, but it got like that. And then I, you know, I kept trying to shoot other broadheads and I always had issues with uh, broadhead tuning um, because of my ape arms and long arrows, I guess. But uh, the muzzies just, I got a, a pattern, you know, like a softball size pattern at, at 20 yards. Um, but then uh, with some of the more modern broadheads you're making now, I tightened that way up and I was able to get away from the, the muzzies. And now with the G5s, I'm really, 
I got a pattern that's really nice. You yeah. Know, um, so I can split arrows at 20 yards instead of having a softball size pattern. Right. Yeah, for sure. Lots of good stuff out there now for guys to to use if they want to shoot a, uh, a fixed blade. And yeah, you're probably and right. Knock either one, but just make yeah. sure that, uh, that the equipment you pick just make sure that with you, you can shoot it really well, and it shoots it shoots good. If you're getting some problems with uh, with your pattern being large, don't just assume it's you. you. You know, test some stuff out because uh, yeah, yeah, different heads fly different. Yeah, there's some people that yeah. machine really nice broadheads and stuff now that, that are just incredible. I mean, a lot yeah. of people now um, it ain't like the old days where people tried to make the cheapest stuff so that they could sell it. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, people aren't as cheap and. Uh, some companies will just take and uh, make this stuff however they have to make it to make it right. Kind of like yeah. what we do with Beast Gear. I mean, they make a broadhead, they machine it perfect so it's in line and it's, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can tell a difference too when you shoot something that's high end versus a, mm-hmm. you know, a muzzy or something like that nowadays. Um, I would tell people, like, uh, you know, what, what did someone say? I heard someone say like mechanicals are for people that don't know how to tune their arrows or their bows. So like, I, if you're going to shoot a, hey, when you're, when you're, your bow is shooting off, oh, just put a mechanical. On. Yeah. <laughs> you hear that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you are going to, if you're shooting a mechanical right now, I probably wouldn't like screw on a, uh, a, a fixed blade tonight and go hunting with it in the morning. Like you want to shoot them cause they, they are wonky. Some of them, some of them don't fly right. Especially if your bow is a little out of tune or, switch yeah um okay here's a question can you guys explain how thermal hubs work he said i've had trouble predicting wind and thermals that's a term like that's a term we probably use loosely and may people may not know exactly what it means so i mean explain so thermal hub Thermal hub is an area where um, several points come around in kind of a semicircle and surround a low area. And the bucks can bed up on the, the points all the way around, and they can pretty much get in there in any wind because they can, get, they can move very short distances and cover it. And you can't really get at them because of the thermals and the winds around them. And it's, and it's like the perfect storm for a deer to bed there because the winds just swirl in there and it's hard to get in there. And, uh, um, if the guy's saying he's having problems with, uh, the thermals down there in the winds, well, yeah, of course, that's why the deer's there. So the way that, uh, I tackle them, um, is to, there's two ways. The most common way is to, to find where the deer comes out of that thermal hub and get as close as you can as possible. And where he exits, you hunt him. The other way is to get in that bottom when you have the wind blowing right down the valley out the only low end, whichever way the, uh, the draws go out, and it has to be a direct straight wind and it has to be a good wind so that it doesn't swirl. And you still can't get up in the middle of it because the other valleys will cause the swirling. You still have to get to the bottom of it. Um, but it's a rare wind. You have to have blowing right down that bottom. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, you hunt a lot of that and you're in hill country where you live. Yeah. I mean, some people like to, will tell you like the, um, you know, if you have a wind, like you say, you have ridges that are running north to south and the thermal hub is, you know, down on the bottom and you, you hunt that on a north wind, 
but man, even then it can be, it can be tough. If you have even just the slightest, um, you know, breeze change or anything, you're going to, it's going to, you know, switch around on you and whatnot. Um, I, but I'll, I'll like push the envelope sometimes and, and, and go into a hub and, and hunt it down. Like if there's a hub scrape or something like that down there. Uh, but again, like I go, I would, I would like, if you're going to do stuff like that, I would definitely go in there and like do some wind scouting. And what I mean by that is you know, go in there with some milkweed in the summertime or whenever, uh, on a good wind that you think is going to be ideal for your, um, that location and, and look at it. Cause some of them are just almost for back lack of a better word, like almost impossible to hunt like that in them. But yeah, yeah, a lot of times you just have to back up. Like Gary killed his buck in Indiana in a hub this year, but he was like way back in the mouth of, or yeah, the mouth of it where it, it's wider. There's the air can move a little better through it and not just get in there and do kind of like this in that, in that hub, you know, or in those ridges. So. Yeah. You kind of want to worry about the setup in there too. Cause even if you go down in that mouth, you have to have yeah. enough that your thermal ain't going up that valley to the points. You know what I mean? Or you yep. got to get yep. after the thermals dropping, you know? It's... Yep. Yep. I think you said, uh, you said something on a pot on, on a show a while back. You're like the biggest mistake people make in hill countries. They're not patient enough. And that's mm-hmm. something that's probably like very true. Like I think some people will just go to that hub and just go set up against those ridges real quick, you know? And it's like, ah, oh, like they're, they're going to know you're there. Like, cause at some point in time that night, at, at, that evening or whenever that wind's going to go up there. I mean, in the hill, hill country bedding DVD. There's mm-hmm. a, uh, a point where uh, I'm hunting in hill country in Iowa and uh, I see a buck down in the valley. So I move to it and I have this big 10 pointer come in and right as he gets up to me, he wins me and runs off. And I, I say to the camera, you know, I know better than to hunt down in these bottoms, but ever, you know, all the sign and stuff is down there. It just pulls me down here and I'll get cocky enough where I believe I can beat them. And I have to come down here and get beat and get my tail kicked between my legs. And then I don't do it again for a year. And then I start getting cocky again and I go do it again. <laughs> you know, And it's, yeah. it's pretty much true. I mean, uh, you just, you feel like you got to go down there cause that's where the action is. But if you're not patient and sit back, um, usually bad things happen out of it. Yep. There's a reason they, they, uh, like it down there. Um, just another reason hill country can be difficult. <laughs> um, all right, let's see here. What other questions we have? We've been on here for a while. You know what I forgot to do? I forgot to put the call in thing here in the comments. So it's going up in the comments right now. If you guys want to call in and ask a question, just click on that link. I just shared at the bottom on the chats uh, or copy it into your web browser. And then you guys can, you'll be live on the, the show. So you will be live. So if, if you got a camera on, make sure you're, you're somewhere that you, uh, you, uh, you know, is appropriate for the internet. So I don't get demonetized or something crazy. All right. Let's see here. Um, <laughs> yeah, you could maybe put on some scent lock and go down in those hubs. All right. Yeah. Just spray uh, some magic pixie dust on you. You're fine. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Let's see here. There's there's other questions. Okay. Uh, someone on the Facebook group, Aaron, he asked, any tips for when the hardwood leaves fall heavy like fresh snow? So when the ground's covered in leaves is what he's saying. And 
and hide all the, all the trails. Um, he's kind of asking, how do you guys get into your stand quietly uh, whenever things are super loud in the in the woods? Mm-hmm. Walking around's loud. Yeah, it ain't easy. Sometimes I, uh, like I had a spot like that where I just recently hunted. I've been waiting to get in there and I know that there's some good deer in there and I know that uh, the deer are going to hear me because I have to get within about 50 to 75 yards from them. Um, and the only factor is really sound. So I waited till it was raining, um, but I could have waited till it was really windy. Um, but rain is great because it just the softens the leaves and you can walk on them without making noise. As a matter of fact, that hunt, I got in there, I climbed the tree, and before I could even get the camera on, I had two bucks walk out and walk right underneath me. So, um, obviously it worked. But again, it goes right back to what uh, Josh was just saying about, you know, patience is a virtue. Waiting for the right day, the right time. Yeah. Yeah, all right. You know, if, if you go in, go in, you know, instead of going in at 3 o'clock, you may have to go in at 1 o'clock and just go slower or maybe, you know, a lot of times in the middle of the day, the wind speeds are higher. Um, all that stuff is, uh, is, you know, can be a key to getting in your, your stand, but. You should uh, still be able to see the trails too. Uh, um, yeah. Just because there's the tracks are covered where trails are is visible. Um, and for the most part, um, if deer are going through there on a daily basis, you should see a spot or two where they kick the leaves away, you know? Right. Um, someone asked, do we prefer to sit or stand in tree stands? How about you? Mm, if I can get, if I can stand while deer's coming in, I'll, I'll stand up and I'll flip the seat mm-hmm. up and kind of get up against the tree. But like I'll I'll probably stand I'll probably sit most of the time but, um, you know when a deer's coming in I'll I'll get up and if it you know if I can, um, that's how I prefer to do it like I like to have the seat up and my just leaning against the tree as being as you know discreet as I can. Yeah, so um, I'd love to stand the whole time, but it would kill me. Yeah. So I yeah. sit down. Um that's where it's important to have a good height seat on your stand so that when you sit it's very little movement to get up and a small seat that you can just flip up slowly um as soon as you hear something coming or you think something's coming or you see something um and when i get up what i do is i turn my body sideways and blend in with the tree and i always point my stand in the direction the deer are going to come from so they're so if they look in my direction and they see me I'm in line with the tree and I turn my body broadside and I'll take the limb of the bow and I'll put it in front of my face like this to block mm-hmm. up my face. Cause they seem to see faces real well. And then I'll just sit there ready for a shot, but I'll, I'll, I turn my, my body broadside. So I was, I'm as little as possible blending in with the trunk of the tree. Um, especially in small trees or isolated trees that sit by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just had uh, Dave, uh, send that message in, right? He just showed me yeah. a tree. He was asking me some advice about hunting uh, just before the show. And he had a tree in the middle of uh, open thing. And he's got a camera there and all these bucks coming by this tree. And he's like, I got to hunt this, but look at this tree. It's got no cover. It's the only tree I can get. And it's in the background of the pictures. I'm like, so getting it, you know, uh, just turn yourself sideways. He goes, you don't think they'll see you? 
they might, but uh, that's what you got for an option. So that's what you do. You know, you put yourself up there and you'd be surprised what you get away with, you know, but uh, I like being standing. I think if a deer comes in and sees you sitting, they're mo way more likely to see you in that tree. You stick out. Anytime you stick mm -hmm. away from the trunk of the tree, they spot you a lot faster. I try to glue my back up against the tree. I try to be as tight to that tree as possible. I don't want to stick out from it at all. On a sitting position, just really you stand out up there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do the exact same thing. But like you said, it's to be up there for a long time, just standing is hard. So um, here's a question that uh, people fight over sometimes. We, would you consider taking a doe during the rut? Or would you consider that live bait? What do you think? I don't shoot does during the rut, but I don't care if you do. That's just mm -hmm. my hunt. Like I, I don't, uh, I just too, there's too good a chance that there may be a buck uh, coming through, but or, yeah. you know, there's a chance, but. I don't very often, not during the rut. Yeah. So, um, mm -hmm. I mean, I just had a conversation with Rick. I said, I told him he could come over to the farm and hunt no does not not yeah. the rut. ruts over you can shoot a doe not right now and uh like you said uh number one that's what's bringing the bucks there and right. number two it makes quite a mess when you shoot one and you you do some damage now if i was on public land and my hunt was pretty much down to down the tubes and i'm thinking i'm not coming back here and one came by and i got a tag and i felt like it I'd see no problem with that if, you know, it's the end, end of my hunt and I'm done there. Um, but if it's some place where I'm working a buck and I'm in an area where I'm buck hunting and I think there's something there I want to shoot, I am not shooting a doe during rut. Yeah. So I'm same way. I, I don't, I'll shoot a doe early season. Sometimes if I'm not on a buck, I just don't, not, I don't very rarely do I go to the, go to the woods, like to doe hunt, like, Look, very often. look at this. I mean, this scenario at the very start of the rut, I thought, well, I'm going to sit this place and observe what's going on by this camera. And maybe if a doe comes out, I'll shoot it, but I don't have enough time to go to stand anyway. So I'm just going to sit this. I ended up shooting that doe. And what was going on? Mm. Those two bucks were watching. That was the same day I shot that buck. Yep. And that was kind of getting a little too close for doe or to rut for that. Now, mm -hmm. what's, what is kind of odd about that, I, I think. I think those bucks were actually weren't going to come in, but me shooting that doe made them curious and they came over or the buck came. Yeah. Over, mm -hmm. Which is just totally, you know, against all odds, but yeah. it could have blown, it could have completely blown that hunt. But then again, maybe that buck was going to come over and he wasn't going to look up at the tree in a tree at me. Right. Yeah. And give me a nice broadside 10 yard shot or something, but, you know, killing that doe could have done done me some serious damage. And that was, you know, like the October 15th where you're getting close to rut around here. You know, they're right. starting to put scrapes out. They're starting to sniff around. You know, but during actual rut, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like I shot a doe in Michigan, but it's like we it was, first of all, it was early October. So the, there was no rut activity per se going on for the most part, you know. And, uh, yeah, I had a doe tag, so whatever separate doe tag from my buck tags um well maybe i'm contradicting myself a little bit but it was I, it was fun to shoot her here's the question uh 
going in for a morning hunt, do you use a light or wait till gray light? If I'm going to go in the dark, I'll use a, like a dark, dark, I'll use a light. Like I'll, I, I don't know if he's asking that. Like, is he, is he wondering if we're just going in during gray light? Cause I'll, I'll go in early sometimes, like get, get my stand pretty early. If I, you know, have a pre, you know, a, a stand in mind or a spot to go in mind, I'll, I'll use a, a light, but I always, I don't, it's kind of a, I keep my head down, make sure it's pointed straight down. I don't like to like, you know, shine it all over the woods or anything, but I think it's better to have a little bit of light going on than to be crashing into crap and making all kinds of weird noises or falling. So, so uh, I've noticed that, um, uh, that, uh, deer don't seem to mind lights much. I've walked yeah. up here and you hit them with your flashlight walking out or whatever, or walking in and they just kind of look at you dumb, maybe trot off. They don't have mm-hmm. near the reaction they do during daylight. Um, however, if you go back a little bit in time, uh, let's say 15 years ago, maybe mm-hmm. give or take, you know, um, I used to like pride myself in navigating without a light because it, you get night vision and you can see oh. real well if you just don't put a light on and I just wouldn't put a light on and I'd traverse in and out. And it was more than just for the deer. I mean, I didn't like people knowing where I was or anything like that. And I hunted a lot like that. And uh, one night I was coming out from a hunt and I was coming out from quite a ways back into a swamp and it was pretty late. It was probably closing in on an hour after hours. And I was probably like five, 600 yards from the truck. And I'm going through a brushy field walk with no light on. And I can see the horizon just fine. I can see the, sticks in front of me with my my vision and it was dead silent out and i heard a sound above me that just sounded like like and i I had my light in my hand and i flicked it on and flicked it up and there was a guy at full draw on me and it was like an hour after uh, light and uh the guy proceeded to start screaming at me about who the hell walks through the woods i want to get shot you walk through without a light and you know um i've always been a component of uh Everybody can teach you something. And even that idiot poacher taught me something. And I walk around like a Christmas tree now when it's dark out. Yeah. I just had this conversation with Maddie because we've been walking out, um, you know, and at dark together or whatever. And we got to talking about that walking back. I said, anytime I'm on public land, I got a headlamp on when I'm walking out. I don't, uh, some stupid deer ain't worth me getting shot with an arrow or something, you know, I've ran into people uh, poaching with rifles during bow season and all kinds of crap you run into in the public land. You hunt there long enough. And if you got somebody that's so crazy, they'll go out there with a rifle and poach deer at, at night. They ain't going to look to see if it's a person. They're thinking it's a deer. If they got it in their mind, it's a deer. All you have to do is have a white collar on or something, you know? And yeah. So, and, you know, not even that. I mean, people are so gun, you know, or, tr- or trigger happy or whatever. It's like, you got to be careful. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, uh, like I said, I always have something on to, to make sure someone can see me. <laughs> now I'll, I'll admit like on my private farms, I'll walk out without a headlamp on most of the time, but I also know exactly where I'm going and all that. Um, and I'll do that because I, you know, I don't want to, you know, spook deer out of the fields and stuff like that. But anytime I'm on public or there's other hunters around, I always throw a headlamp on. So, no, Ricky anyway. hasn't shot a, shot a deer in, man, since last year, right? So I go to him 
flashlight in each hand, waving a, a <laughs> siren on my head, and I'm with them. Hey, you're over here. Come <laughs> out. Oh, poor Rick. Yeah, just kidding. Anyway, uh, that's funny though. Well, Dan, we've been on here for about an hour and a half, and our questions are starting to run dry. Okay. So let's get off here. But listen, before we go, guys, I just dropped a whole bunch of stuff, but I got a bunch of stuff I was going to give away. So I'm going to give them away to the comments. I got a pack of Montex that Dan, the, our friends at G5, gave us. Um, and then Lou, check this out. Lou sent me a bunch of stealth strips. He has a new natural gear, I think it's what it's called, pattern. Nice. So I'll throw in a, I'll put a bunch of, uh, Stell strips in the box, and then I got a, a shirt and a hat too. I'll put in the box for someone that uh, wins. And I think what I'm going to do is you got to comment after the the show's over. Comment on uh, this show and just like tell us something positive about something that's going on right now and deer hunting, how your season's going, or this or that. And I'll just pick someone. I'll probably give it like maybe next show. I'll announce it, give it a week, and then give it away to the. Um, just some random commenter. That's all you have to do. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get excited and put two packs of Montex in the box. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Anyways, um, everybody, thanks for coming on. Thanks for the super chats or the donations. That was that's always a cool feeling. So um, yeah, make sure you subscribe and like, and we'll see you guys next week sometime. Have a good uh, rest of your week and good luck hunting. Thanks, everybody.